Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, what's up? It is episode 20 of Believe in Queens. I'm Joe Serralo. That schmuck right there is my man Tyler Ward at WardNYM. Y'all know the drill. Hey, speaking of that schmuck right there, Tyler, love that shirt. Why don't you tell the folks before we dive into the show where they can get one? Absolutely. Yeah, guys, in case you're not aware, we do have our first merch line of six different awesome designs, all Mets centric. Make sure you guys go check it out by doing so in the description down below. However, you're watching and listening to episode 20 of Believe in Queens right now. Again, we have a plethora of options, as you guys see here. Go down below and click shop.believe.com, B-L-E-A-V, and make sure you get your stay. We've already seen a bunch of people on the YouTube channel at Wardy NYM. And over Twitter, wherever you guys are tagging us, that you guys have been buying shirts already. The Schmuck shirt I love so much, Rain Volgaback. Believe in Queens tanks. I know my man uh, Joe was repping in the club not long ago. We got get get wreck shirts. We got them all. So again, make sure to check them out. Links down below. Regardless on if you're watching or listening to the pod, greatly appreciate. So yeah, that, that's all I got for you guys. I forgot I told you that that I wore the, the yeah I, I did Queens it. tank to the club on Sunday night. And I, mean, I said, I said, if you're not waking up with at least three beauties next to you, there's an issue. Oh, three dime pieces in the bed with the Believe in Queens tank on. All of them wearing the Believe in Queens tank too. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe I got. So the club I went to was like a nice club. Always has a dress code. But I heard, so I just, I went out with my buddy to watch the, uh, what was the college game on Sunday night? There was a big college football game. I wouldn't know. I, I couldn't even tell. Someone that. would know that's currently not with us right now. So oh, why don't we um, pivot to that real quick? Yeah, right. Was it? Uh, yeah, right. I think it was the LSU Florida State game. Was oh, oh, yeah. We where they blocked the extra it. point. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Next thing I know, we're in the freaking club. I'm wearing a tank top in the club. They waived the dress code because of the holiday weekend. A lot of people going right from the beach to the club. Ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, a certain college football fan is not here right now. And uh, it's not because of college football reasons. It's because of fantasy football reasons. How about Anthony Recker missing a show, missing our 20th episode? Literally the Recker show. Literally the Recker show. Oh, my God. It's our Recker show. Oh, it's episode 20. It's the Recker episode. And he's not here because he's got his fantasy football draft. My question is, why do I have the schmuck shirt on when clearly that should be him right now? That, that's that's a real question we should be asking. Man. And, dude, I, you know – I completely forgot. I've, this is like two straight 12-hour days I've worked. I, I was planning on having you and I both wear our Get Wrecked shirts for episode 20. Nah, he gets Even nothing. Now. He gets no, absolutely now. nothing, now Anthony. Nothing. Anthony, no. if you're watching, you know why. You know why. By the, by the way, this fantasy football league he's in, I mean, we're going to keep it top secret. We're going to keep treat it like a VIP guest list. But, you know, he asked me a couple fantasy football questions. Um, I'm kind of good at the fantasy thing. And he showed me the 10 guys who were in the league. And it was like a New York Mets blast from the past. Like guys from Wrecker's tenure with the Mets who like names you're like, wow, I have not heard of that guy in at least five to eight years. But holy crap, I've got some obscure memory about each and every one of them. Wild, wild list for the top secret New York Mets fantasy football league. And speaking of those top secret 
New York Mets, there's a great chance that you're going to see some of those guys from that league Maybe. be potentially special guests on the show in the future. So we'll see. We'll see oh, what yeah. that entails. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to, to hear the chirp and some fantasy trash talk between Rec and, and some of these top secret future guests of ours on Believe in Queens. Hey, by the way, if you like fantasy football, there's a good chance that you like betting on player props. And you know, Tyler, there's no better place to do that than bet online. So head on over to betonline.ag. Use our promo code for your 50% welcome bonus. That's Believe 50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. Get your latest odds, news, lines, developments. Place your bets over at BetOnline and let the games begin. That's enough of that. Let's let the show begin. The Mets, Bats, Woke Up. What a doubleheader. Out of the park, Mark. Well, Mark actually didn't hit one out of the park, but I just wanted to say that with a Boston accent. <laughs> the Mets, Bats are awake. I mean, Tyler Nake went out of the park. How you doing? Uh, Jeff McNeil hitting cleanup with a, a little three for five game with a walk more of in that there. How you more doing? of that this is uh, it wasn't under the circumstances that we were hoping for but hey we'll take it the guys stepped know, it, up it, it's what we talked about we talked about record talked about this some lineup movement you know pete in the two hole had a couple base knocks in each game how you doing mcneil moving up to clean up i, I mean fogo a little fogo power a lot of Fogo power. We got a lot to say on the Fogo. Oh my goodness! I'm going to hand the floor to you. I know. I know that you got like a freaking hard on for Eduardo Escobar right now. For first time this year. First time this year. I'd be lying if I said I haven't felt that way about week in July. That 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 day. That day. It was like a week. Like three or four home runs in a week. Okay. Fair. No, no, it wasn't even that. It was the big game. Was the cycle against the Padres? That was the big one. You were there. And San Diego, the one win in that series. Then he had the little home run streak in July. Then that dipped down, and Eddie went back to his inconsistent ways. However, he's playing his best baseball. Can come at a better time for Mets team. And they're, he's not the only one. We'll get into it. The catching as well. Mets catchers deciding to get on base seven times a series. I'll is take. James I will McCann, gladly take it. Is James McCann above the Mendoza line? He's he over was. 200. He's he was. He was. <laughs> My goodness! You got case- Eddie Escobar up to two thirty. By the way, Escobar today. Do you know? Do you know his line at the plate? Oh, today for the doubleheader, yeah. six for nine, baby. How six you doing? for nine. Nice, <laughs> nice, Eddie. Escobar six for nine. As, as my chair is like sliding all over the place. Escobar six for nine. McCann's over two hundred. I, I mean, the pack they were just raking. Naquin freaking going yard. By the way, Tyler Naquin like dominates at PNC. So thank God of all places. For As Charlie he should. Marte. Yeah, well, thank God, because, you know, right now, a little bit of concern, a lot of bit of concern about Starling Marte. And we'll get into and that. what's going on there. Maybe a fractured finger. They're saying it's actually like the same thing Lindor had. Correct. Um, which is concerning and relieving in, in separate ways. Relieving in the sense that, well, at least Lindor didn't really miss time. Concerning in the sense that Lindor also didn't really hit the ball in the month of June because of that injury. So concerning, but also relieving. May not need an IL stint. We'll see. Don't want to speculate too much until, you know, we get some more imaging back. Also super weird, by the way. Left the game last night, four images, or two nights ago, I should say, as this episode uh, comes out on Thursday on the off day. Then Buck sent him back for more imaging during game one of the doubleheader. They want further clarity. Like, I don't think they weren't clear enough. Like, what? Well, I don't understand. Good hospitals. I, I guess not. I, I don't know. But what I do know Where is that... Where are we him? Bradford? 
<laughs> what I do know is that we'll get into those health updates because we don't just got a bunch of health updates for the Mets that many of you guys know by now, but we'll expand further. But we also got a lot of updates on guys on rehab assignments. But Joe, before we get into all that, I want to know what is your raw reaction from this series? Like, what's your biggest takeaway, right? Because we saw, mm-hmm. thankfully for me, I did not watch game one of this live. And it's one of the few times all year where I was happy to not catch a Mets game. I usually cover them all on the YouTube channel, Wardy NY. I'm doing post game. I was away in a concert in Camden, was having plenty of fun. Didn't realize the Mets lost until after the concert concluded, which I was satisfied. Because if I knew that beforehand, I would have been sitting there like a tight ass while, you know, they're jamming and going on. But what's your biggest you that take- concert with no guys I ever heard of, right? Yeah, no guys you ever heard of. If you know for the younger schmucks out there, Suicide Boys, Snot, and yes, that also being in Ski Mass of Slump God. If you know, you know. There's probably select viewers that know who they are. I have a wide yeah, variety of music know. taste. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was an absolute blast. They killed it. But Joe, what's your biggest takeaway? You lose. Biggest takeaway yeah. is that this, this team woke the, they woke the hell up. They finally did what they were supposed to do. After three awful games against awful opponents. The, the worst teams the in baseball. Place, last place Nationals, last place Pirates, three ugly games. The Mets did what they're supposed to do. They did what the Atlanta Braves have been doing against teams below 500 for the better part of the last three months. They didn't just beat Pittsburgh. They beat up on Pittsburgh. It, it was every facet of their game was spot on. We talked about the bats woke up. Everyone was hitting from Naquin to Escobar to McNeil to Alonzo, even though he didn't have the power. Still a couple base hits, a couple oppo hits. I want to see Alonzo go to right field. That's when I know he's got his stroke back. Exactly. Everyone was hitting. McCann was hitting and then pitching and then pitching. The pitchers did what pitchers are supposed to do against this Pittsburgh Pirates lineup. A lineup that, as Gary and Keith noted in game one of the doubleheader, only had two guys with on-base percentages over 300. That's a freaking joke. And the pitchers did what they're supposed to do. Bassett and Jake each went seven strong, combining to just allow one run and notch 18 strikeouts in those 14 combined innings. Right now, our top two healthy starting pitchers, Scherzer's on the IL. We'll, We'll get into that a little bit. But our top two healthy starting pitchers, the guy who, you know, DeGrom is probably going to be our ace in the playoffs. Maybe they'll put him number two. We'll see what they do. Bassett's our number three. They shoved against a crap team. They did what they're supposed to do. But I'm happy about it. You know, it's like part of me is like the Bill Belichick, you know, do your job. They did their job, right? That's what they're supposed to do. The other part of me is after guys not doing their jobs for three straight nights, they're back on track. And I think that this team is going to stay back on track. We've got the Marlins now for three. We've got the Cubs for three. We've got the Pirates again for four. I think they're going to stay back on track. And, you know, look, they're not going to go 12 and four. Like you and I had said in the 16 Unfortunately. games. Unfortunately. They're, they're three and three. Just 12 and four does not seem realistic. You know, Rec said 10 and six, and we were like, that sounds low. Rec was right. You know, these teams love to play spoiler this time of year. Maybe we'll meet in the middle. Maybe we'll go 11 and five. I'll still be happy. That would still mean that they finish, what, eight and eight and two in, in their next uh, in their next 10. You know, give me that all day. I don't know if that'll happen. That might be too much to ask for. But today they did what they're supposed to do, and I think it's going to carry on moving them forward. You know, I'm not saying I don't want to hear we're in first place. You know, we're a half game up on the Braves, uh, and all that matters to me, echo this sentiment a few episodes back, is the loss column. So we're still in my in my eyes, we're still tied with Atlanta. Just got to do your job and keep winning games, keep beating up on the bottom dwellers the rest of the way. 
I mean, you said it best. I, when you look at that game one, as demoralizing as that was, Taiwan Walker, who you've spoken glowingly of a lot this year, we were we talked about, it, if I'm not mistaken, last episode, our level of concern. And we said, you know, Rex said, I'm not concerned, and neither am I. Ty showed even what he's dealing with a little bit of a blister issue right now. Not the best stuff. Gave up four earned in those six innings, But thankfully, the Mets stars that were supposed to show out in the series did that. And as awesome as it was to see Jacob deGrom without his most dominant stuff, let's keep it as is, right? Jake didn't even have his best stuff, but he was cruising the entire game, made seven scoreless with eight punches, look absolutely like another day of the week for Jacob deGrom, who's been at what, a 1.66 year right now in the year. Seabass picking up Exact 100% Seabass with 3.24. I, I got to be honest, I'm a little bit more impressed with Seabass than I am with Jake just because you expect Jake to do exactly what he did. You know, I in my mind, I was trying not to get him myself. Maybe this will be the no no day for Jake. And then O'Neill Cruz first pits swing and says, How you doing? He's a stud in the making for the Pirates. If you know, you know, he had a great series against us. But Seabass, five strong, was cruising, got in a little bit of jam, gave up that one run in the sixth but settled down nicely, struck out the side in one inning. I think it was the fourth or the fifth, then struck out two in the seventh. I mean, talk about mental toughness that you emphasize so much, Joe. That's what I saw more with Seabass. He's been locked and loaded for like a month, month and a half now. I'm loving everything that I'm like seeing from him. 14 starts. Exactly. 14 like starts. Since June. We're talking almost three months at this point. He's been locked in. Yeah, it's it's so refreshing to see. But what's even more refreshing is the fact that we expected the Stars get the job done. I will not have been satisfied coming out of this series win and the Mets say win 3-1, you know, or 4-2. Like, we need to stop with the low scoring. We need to do our best, best Braves-esque type thing out here and kick the absolute teeth in on the bomb fears. And finally, the Mets did exactly that offensively. 5-1 in game two is your victory. Thanks to some big bombs. Tyler Naquin, three-run shot. Oppo, how you doing? Eddie Escobombs with the one run, a solo bomb going back-to-back. And then you see there just 10 runs. I mean, it was lopsided from the beginning there in game three, the series finale. And that's what I want to emphasize most for you, Joe, is talk about guys that are getting hot at the right time for the Mets. Francisco Lindor, big game three, got some luck on his side outside poking that beautiful two-run double down the first baseline. Brian Reynolds wishes he was Brandon Nimmo, couldn't play the ball correctly in center field to drive in a couple more, another double for Lindor. But Pete Alonso spraying the field is awesome. But again, Eduardo Escobar has not been consistent all year long. Now with Brett Beatty out for the remainder of the year with injury, you know, it's on the outside looking and he'll play for the Mets again this year, a doubt at this rate. Luis Guillerme, who's getting closer to returning, we'll discuss him shortly. The Mets now have good problems to have with Eddie finally hitting from the left side of the plate, finally beating the shift when pulling the ball, finally hitting for opposite field, looking comfortable. Even with two outs, Eddie's getting hits left and right. I mean, he's been red hot since coming off the IEL. In this series, Joe, he didn't just go six for nine in the doubleheader, but overall seven for 12 with the home run, the two RBIs, a two runs scored. But the guy who stepped in, for Starling Marte after his injury. And again, if Marte's going to be injured, if he needs time, now is the perfect time to let that happen. When you, again, you start September with a 16-game stretch against below 500 clubs. These bomb feeders. Tyler Naquin finding his swing, his first bomb in literally a month for the Mets. Daniel Vogelback, Ruff still not looking great at the plate, but they're contributing in little ways. Mainly Vogie, Ruff didn't do anything in the series. But especially Tyler Naquin, 5 for 11 this matchup, the home run. The double, the four RBIs, the two runs scored. He even got himself to third, wasn't stolen back. It was because of a pass ball. Same thing, though. And the catchers, 
The catchers, Joe, again, Tad McCann, Nito with a nice double there in game one of the doubleheader. McCann with two hits in game one, got himself another base knock, two runs scored here in game three. The Mets, for the first time, I'm almost certain this season, seven times their catchers got on base in one series. You take that to the bank. Look, if it doesn't matter what they have done up to this point. The Mets are going to get a decent amount of production against lesser opponents down the stretch from the catching position. And from the yeah. guys in the 7, 8, and 9, now's the time. It's better late than never, Joe. They're finally getting this, these type of contributions that have been beyond needed for this club, especially when, again, you have your heart of the order, not necessarily playing great on a consistent basis. Pete's still trying to find his home run swing. He's reaching a little bit. Lindor's been on and off, but again, he's been showing up big when they need him most. McNeil, Nimmo, they've been a little sprack, but again, still have been strong, especially McNeil and the doubleheader. The point I'm trying to make is that even when these guys are going down, it's imperative that the Mets have the bomb of the year showing up. Mark Hanna with two extra base hits and, and, the, and the 10-0 win. Everyone's contributing and then some. And that's why it's huge to have this offensive breakout because we all know what the Braves did the last time they were in Pittsburgh. They just absolutely pistol-whipped this team. And it was, an, it was a nice breath of fresh air to see this club finally, finally get some impressive dominating wins against teams that you absolutely expect them to do. Yeah, I mean, the Braves were up like 7 nothing in the in the uh, late innings against Pittsburgh and put up like a 7 spot in the 8th or top of the ninth off. They're the relentless. And they, the Pirates. They, yeah, they, they, they don't let up. Yeah, and so that's why I like to see what the Mets did tonight. Now, you know, the Mets, I don't think they ran up the score. There was a there was a sequence late in the game where they were kind of going station to station on, on balls hit into the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they just, they got so many hits, 17 hits, that they knocked in 10 runs, you know? And, and sometimes, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting Escobar and McCann to all of a sudden come out here and be heroes and, you know, be scorching hot the entire rest of the regular end of the season just because of one series against Pittsburgh. But sometimes you need to get fat on the bad teams to just get your confidence up. And if they can be confident the rest of the way, if they can be 250 hitters the rest of the way, I'll be more than happy considering coming into the series, they were both sub 220 and sub 200 hitters uh, respectively. So, you know, if that confidence just gets them up, to the point where they're hitting, you know, what we expected them to hit, about 250, 260 when we signed them, that would be huge uh, the rest of the way. But, you know, they took care of business. They did what the Braves have been doing. Now the big thing is keep doing it. And by the way, you you talked about Jake and not having his best stuff. It is true. It is kind of remarkable the way he just cruised through seven innings, allowed four base runners. He's just, he's, he's an alien. But while he didn't have a great slider, in this game tonight. One thing that really stood out to me was that he was throwing his changeup and his curveball. The curve is the big one for me. Yeah. And I thought, well, I mean, he talked about the changeup in the post game, but I agree with you. For me watching, even though he threw the changeup more than he threw the curveball, his curveball looked good. I mean, I texted you after a 1 0 pitch, and it was insignificant. The broadcast didn't even mention it because it was a 1 0 pitch to O'Neill Cruz. The team was up like seven or eight nothing. But Jake threw a curveball, 83 miles per hour. And, and what's unique about his curveball is it's his only pitch that's not 90-plus. Even his freaking changeup's 90-plus. He threw a curveball, 83 miles per hour, and it started in the right-hander's batter box, and it cut in, backdoored Cruz over the outside corner, knee height. You throw that pitch with two strikes, it's a strikeout pitch 10 times out of 10. So just seeing that and seeing him use his curveball more, I think he threw his curveball more tonight than he threw in the entire 2021 season that Correct. he pitched, the half a season that he pitched. I think he only threw like six or seven all last year. I think he threw like eight tonight. So, I mean, this is a guy who really 
his fastball slider most nights. And he's able to do that because he's throwing 101 and 95 with those two respective pitches. If Jake can work in his four pitches, I mean, God save the queen when the postseason starts. It's like, and maybe maybe he's waiting. Maybe now he's just kind of getting a feel for those pitches because he's going to use all four in the playoffs. I mean, you know, we've even 100%. seen in years past a little two-seamer. We've seen a little cutter. I, I mean, if Jake, if he starts mixing everything in come the postseason, it's like, I just, I don't see how anyone hits this man. I mean, you weren't all that impressed. And he went seven innings, eight Ks, four base runners. It's like, he he just cruises. He's in, he, he's a freaking alien. So even though he might not have had his best slider, I was just impressed with the rest of his arsenal tonight, throwing a curveball on any count, spotting it. Um, you know, he's just, <laughs> Jake's ridiculous. Let me, let me emphasize, it's not the fact that I wasn't impressed. I'm always impressed by Jake. You know, what he did in this game was absolutely massive. It's just the fact that as a fan that knows that Jake, again, now look at these further numbers for, for a second. He now is only one game behind, I think at 37 or so, with consecutive games allowing three or less earned runs. He's also, and the guys ahead of him, only a 58. There's only two more in MLB's history with that stretch. Another fun stat from Michael Mayer, Mets Rise. Four earned runs or less. Jake is currently at 57, I'm pretty sure. And Rich Hill is at first. Dick Mountain, the former New York Met, with 59 consecutive. So Dick Mountain doesn't allow four or more, huh? No, D- Dick's always giving you three to four. Uh, every single start. That's why he's been in the league so long, just throwing the off speeds like crazy. But the point I'm trying to make is that we're so spoiled as Mets fans, seeing greatness every single time he's on the hill. So when you're matching up against the Pirates, I mean, I had as high expectations of hoping for a potential no-no. That didn't last literally longer than the pregame. But the point I'm trying to make is that Chris Bassett, for me, just edged him out and really wowing me. Because this is Bassett as strong as he's been. We saw what happened to Ty. It wouldn't be outlandish if C. Bassett has, you know, not the best start here or there. But he just really put his foot down. And that really made me satisfied as a guy that expects the world every single time from Jake. But Seabass is our number three. If he can continue to provide the type of production that he has down the stretch in the playoffs, I mean, this team is going to be in great hands. And they already are to an extent. But that, yeah, that's what I want to I don't blame you for feeling that way, by the way, because I feel the same way. Jake impressed me, but Chris Bassett impressed me more because when you say, hey, our ace went seven scoreless and, and, you know, had eight punchies, Versus our number three went seven innings, one run, 10 punchies. I'm like, wow, your number three did that? He stepped up. That impresses me more. Bingo. So I, I agree with your sentiment a thousand percent. By the way, and we'll get into the health report right after this and then look at the Marlins series a bit. But big thing to note with Bassett, what impressed me a lot with him, and, and this was just a singular pitch. Maybe it's, it's the pitcher in me. Uh, I was watching that, and I was working out while the game was going on this morning. Okay. And... <laughs> you're like, yeah, just that in. no, no, because no, I'm doing, I'm doing my, I'm doing my reps in front of the screen, and all of a sudden I see him shake off Nita, and I said, yeah, right, I'm, I'm lifting, uh, I'm lifting the remote, I'm going, there you go, there you go, you know, the Anthony Wrecker workout here, I pick things up and put them down, you- <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm watching the sequence go down, right? He's got nine Ks at this point because he struck out his last batter, and it's two strikes. I forgot who's up. I see him shake Nito off. Now, Bassett is a super methodical guy. He's one of those guys, like, he may may be as difficult or even more difficult to deal with when he's pitching than Scherzer. Uh, You know, Bassett, he's he's very methodical. He wants to be in control. 
Guy throws six different pitches. He wants to pick every time. It can be tough to catch back. Two completely different sliders. That always blows me away. It's ridiculous. So I see him shake off Nito, and I'm like, all right, he's up over 100 pitches. I know exactly what he's doing here. He's in a little little jam. I think there was first and second, two outs, two strikes. I was like, he's going to reach back. Like Nito, uh, in my mind, when I saw him shake him off, I'm like, Nito just called for like a curveball or a slider. And Bassett just wants to blow gas by this mother effer. And what did he do? After, uh, you know, on the, on the north side of 100 pitches, he reached back. A guy who usually with his fastball lives 92, 93, mixes in some sink, some cup. He reached back after 100-plus pitches and blew 94 up and away from the lefty who was up. <laughs> and I was just like, that is a bad motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, I saw him do that, and I was like, I knew he was – he just wanted to trust his heat. Bassett gets angry at you know, and I love that. He's he like Max wanted- in that sense. He shows his emotion, you know? Yeah. But it's like, it's not even like a, a fist bumping, screaming angry. No. It's just a, these these guys are first and second on me, man. They're one of the worst lineups in baseball. Let me show him. Let me blow it by him. And it's 94, but it's like a sneaky 94 because you don't know what's coming. You don't know if 72 with a drop is coming. You don't know if 86 with like a, a, a spin is coming. Like, and he just reached back and 94, and even that had a little tail to it, it looked like, going up and shooting up and away from the lefty. It was just so damn pretty. And it's the kind of thing, like, if you're into pitching the way I am, if you're, like, a pitching geek, I mean, you just love to see it. Because I just, I knew he was, like, I'm going to challenge this mother effort, and I'm going to dare him to hit my heat. And, uh, you know, he's not throwing 101 like Jake. Jake hit 100 in the seventh inning, for crying out loud. But he just reared back, gave him 94 late in the game, and blew it past him. And it was just so damn beautiful to watch that got me going man that just i was pumped and that's the best thing about bass and having this multi-pitch arsenal is again you don't know what you're getting because he has the whole kitchen sink to throw at you whenever he wants depending on the situation 25 mile per hour range from his curveball to his you know from his slowest curve to his fastest fastball you're talking like 25 mph it's crazy and that's what makes it that much more important for a guy like jake down the stretch to again continue to toy with that curveball to change it more because Come playoff time, it's no different than end with Diaz. You know what you're getting. You're getting 100-plus on the heater, and you're getting that tops 94-95 slider. Like, people are going to be sitting at some point, regardless of if they can hit it or not. At some point, you know, it's going to happen against these great teams. So that's why it's great to, again, have that nasty curveball in your back pocket that's in the 80s. The changeup's still touching 90 because, again, he's a freaking alien, as you alluded to. So, yeah, I mean, that that's the beauty of Jacob deGrom, where – he doesn't need to be relying on these things, but now is the best time possible for him to start to toy, get some more comfortability with them to make sure that he feels comfortable and ready to go come playoff time to throw whatever is best in the situation. Maybe again, if he doesn't have the slider going come playoff time and we're matched up against a really good playoff team, that's where you're going to need to throw out some more than just your heater. Cause at some point the assumption is that they're going to hit. And when they do hit, you need to make sure that you have plans B, C, D, et cetera, lined up. I know Jake will. That's why he's the best in the biz. But just great timing, given the schedule for him to start to do more of these things. I will say the fact that he's already faced the Braves twice and the Dodgers once and barely utilized his curve and his changeup in three of those games is great. He worked it out against the Pirates team. He's going to see again, but not in a meaningful game. I mean, well, they're all meaningful because we're tied for the division lead. But meaningful, meaning playoff game, right? So the fact that he kind of has the changeup and curveball, like, hidden weapon style for the Braves and Dodgers, two teams we might meet again come October. That's really, really freaking scary to me. Like Jake's so smart. He knows like, Hey, maybe I'm going to face Pittsburgh again next week. 
but I can I can just straight up overpower these guys. Like he oh can. yeah, like yeah. No disrespect. I know that they're major league hitters. Jake can just overpower Pittsburgh. So it's like the Braves and Dodgers. He was really fastball slider. Like maybe threw like two curveballs against the Dodgers. I I wasn't really counting changeups. Um, you know the Braves. I, I don't even know if he threw a curveball in either of those starts. One I listened to on the radio. One I I missed altogether. So. I mean, just the fact that he was primarily fastball slider in those three games against the other two best teams in the National League. Come the playoffs, man. It's like, just use the full arsenal. And, you know, you're going to have guys who are incredible hitters. And look, maybe maybe you'll get one, two runs scored on you once, you know, like worst case scenario. But you're going to be having guys like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson, Ronald Acuna, if, if you're throwing four pitches the way Jake can throw all four of them at those guys, you're going to be having the league's best hitters looking silly. And because they, they've seen you this year, but they haven't seen all of you. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Just win me this division, though, so we get some home games and so we don't have to play in that first. At the time we record this, we're half game up, baby. So let's go. Tied. We're tied. We're tied. Let's go. We're tied. We're tied. We, we got to keep it Joe. moving. Keep it moving. But, uh, hey, we've got some injury news. Yes. Um, Tyler McGill looks pretty freaking good, doesn't he? Oh my God! You know, if I, <laughs> you guys always say, "All right, who who are you gaining a hard on for?" It's oh. always Tyler. It's always Big Drip McGill and Juana White's because he was just moved up to AAA. His first rehab start there for an inning after going six up, six down, all strikeouts in Double A, and he shuts down the side again. He had a strikeout, two groundouts, topping out ninety-seven on the heater. He's now went nine for nine on taking down batters in his rehab. And he's looking like two more outings away. So essentially two more innings away from being back with the Mets. Cause the initial game plan is to have him gaining around five. He's at three. Now that's great. Joey Fuego, Joey Lucchese moved up from single A to double A. He's a guy that, you know, I, I see you have a little smirk on. It's still important to see what Joey can give you down the stretch. When you have a guy like Alex Claudio right now, on the Mets roster. And the reason why the Mets have Alex Claudio on the roster, who again had a scoreless inning, the Mets 10 nothing victory over the Pirates, is because Max Scherzer, someone that you were hoping would be on a Phantom IL, like in a post-game show we did on Wardy NYM over the past week or so, that essentially came true. Now with his oblique injury, it's not a strain. It's more of he just says he feels, you know, a little groggy there, a little just uncomfortable enough where it's best to have him on the IL, retroactive. He'll be made available as soon as September 19th. And again, if Max is going to miss a start or two, what's that? I just I just got a shirt idea. Oh, before we get there, oh, bite your tongue for a second. We need a Joe Nose shirt. Joe Nose? Yeah. Like a Bo Nose? Yeah, a Joe Nose. I told okay. you that Scherzer was going IL in September. I told you that was the best thing for this team, and I think it'll be fine. I, I think, you know, look. David I think Peterson, it'll be perfectly fine as well. Yeah, and I'm sorry for digressing here, but I'll be quick. David Peterson's been great all season as, yep. as a starter for this team in any situation, any scenario, spot starts, you name it. Um, two starts of David Peterson against crap teams. Sign me up. Give Scherzer some rest. I, I need him pumping, you know, against Atlanta that first weekend in October and then, of course, in the postseason. So this is all going to work out. I hope no one's panicking because Scherzer's on this phantom IL stint that, you know, he really needed. We yeah, can't have a dead yeah. arm like last year in the playoffs. Can't can't have that. It's it's funny you say that because that made me think right away of KFC for we got believe potty tweets like all right now like now this is concerning I'm like it's not uh, it's oh. really this is again as we said with all injuries this is the time where we can sacrifice this more than anything. Max doesn't need to go out and pitch against the Pirates or the Cubs. The Mets will be yeah. fine. David Pearson, Trevor Williams, whoever they have thrown out there. 
They should be able to get the job done. The bats, if they just perform as expected, hopefully this is the breakout that we've been hoping for. They're going to be in a perfectly fine spot. Again, give Max the time. I know that he's a guy that wants to be in a rhythm, but right now, don't risk anything. You have the open roster spot now with Claudio. We'll see how long he stays on the roster. They're going to be cool. But speaking of another Southpaw, Joely Rodriguez, after, of course, being available in game one, not available in game two or three of the doubleheader, dealing with some neck stiffness. He'll be fine. Again, Joely's a guy that we we never really been too high on this year. He's been so hit or miss, more so miss. But Joely, he should be fine for the Marlins series. And the main guy, the big guy that got hurt in Pittsburgh in game one, giving me terrible flashbacks of last year right after the All-Star break of when Lindor had his oblique injury in Pittsburgh. We can't go to Pittsburgh in the second half of the year. It needs to stop. Bad juju happens, and that was Sterling Marte getting drilled on the hand, and the results are a non-disclosed finger fracture, which is essentially what Lindor sustained when he got his damn freaking middle finger jammed and a door getting oh, set one? for his Dodgers series. <laughs> exactly, this that one. one. Um, his, his little fuck you thing going on <laughs> in the matchup uh, against the Dodgers back in the June. F- so you fingy. Exactly. So, But the thing for Marte is that he's day-to-day right now. It's been reported from Tacoma, however, for the Mets on the beat, that if Marte is still feeling a sense of uncomfortability, like in actual physical pain, by the time that they're in Miami for Friday, he could land on the I.L. So at the time of recording, this is still up in the air. Marte will be on the aisle or not, has a little split on his finger. But the goal right now is that he feels like fine. Not Even if the Mets get Marte at 80%, they don't need to rush things with him given their schedule and given their roster configuration. So Marte, who might not be swinging the bat the best for a little bit, again, if he's not, this is still the time where the Mets, you would at least think, you would hope, that they can handle that. And at worst, if he's put on the IL, Tyler Naquin just balled out, had a big series. He could fill a spot. Yorme, when he's eventually back, because Yorme did have a rehab outing this Sunday, triple IDH, he still needs a field, so he's still a little bit away. But once he comes back, you put him at second some days, Escobar at third, put McNeil on left, and that just gives you more outfield depth for the Mets. So it's not an end-all situation with Marte. Yes, it's unfortunate. He's got a nagging injury probably for the remainder of the regular season. However, this is far greater than the concerns of a broken hand that a lot of us Mets fans were obviously and rightfully so concerned with that being a possibility. So non-disclosed finger fracture, we will take it all things considered. Even if Marte isn't his best until come playoff time, he is in a better spot now than what it could have been. So we can take a minute, have a deep breath, get that side relief in, and know that regardless, Marte looks like that he is going to be okay in the long run for when the Mets need him most. So I'm so glad that you brought that up about McNeil playing outfield. Exactly. Because I, I meant to bring that up before when we were talking about Escobar, and it just totally escaped me. The best part to me about Escobar's bat waking up this series, if this can, if he can sustain this, is that it gives you flexibility on a team that we've talked at length about the fact that they don't have defensive flexibility because Vogelback and Ruff are both essentially DHs. The Mets don't have a lot of defensive versatility, but when Guillaume comes back, if Escobar's hitting, it's all of a sudden not a liability offensively to put Guillaume at second base. So whether he's hitting or not always gives you good at bats, have Escobar at third and then put McNeil in right field. If Marte needs a day off. So having Escobar like, because otherwise, you know, the Mets could do that anyway, but if Escobar's not hitting, then it's like, great, we got Guillaume and Escobar in the same lineup. You know, maybe neither's producing, and you really feel the loss of Marte. But if Eddie's hitting, 
Guillaume at second base with his glove and, and, you know, the way he makes contact and it battles off at bats, you know, even if he doesn't get a hit, he can go an eight to 10 pitch at bat at ease. All of a sudden that makes it so much easier, so much less stressful to slide McNeil into right field where, you know, McNeil's the kind of guy who you tell him to play any position, he'll just do it and he'll play 110%. But, uh, but yeah, Escobar's bat heating up is huge because if that scenario that you just uh, laid out happens, it, it makes it happen, you know, makes our minds a little more at ease with that happening. And you don't even need to just have Gourmet potentially at second. You can have Gourmet at third and Eddie DHing if you really want to get more defensively secured in the infield. Because again, if Vogie and Ruff are continuing their inconsistencies, you ride the hot bat, you ride the hot hand. So to make yeah. sure that you have the best balance, both defensively and offensively, I want Vogie in there just as much as the next guy. I believe in Volga back. I know that he's going to find his swing more, but especially if he's a detriment to the club, batting, say, in the fifth spot, you know? something of that nature. That is where I, I wouldn't mind having a red hot Escobar. Should he continue this great offensive production that we've seen, having him higher up in the order, fifth or sixth in the DH spot, and then having Gourmet at third and then McNeil, you can either keep him at second or if you need to put him in the outfield still, I mean, you can, you can get very creative. Buck loves his options. I was talking to people on social media. They, they, I had some people saying that Guillermo is nothing more than just a utility guy off the bench. I'm like, I'm sorry. Have you not watched the Mets this entire season where yeah, Guillermo has been mean, starring at least one or two, if not an entire series? Like, Bucks loved him from the beginning. He's having his yeah. best offensive year of his career, and he gives you the best defensive glove in that infield imaginable. That's saying a lot when you have Francisco effing Lindor at shortstop, okay? so yeah. And by the way, Jeff McNeil, I, I know he made an error, what was it, last night, the other day? Yeah, uh, no, his his defense has been spectacular. McNeil's he's a gold glove playing gold glove second base this Yeah, and, and in yeah. the outfield when he's there. He's been phenomenal no matter Wherever where he's been. He is. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive into this Marlins series. So Let's we mentioned David Peterson briefly before. Um, nothing's official right now, at least at the time that we're recording this. It's, what is it, almost 1 in the morning on the East Coast. Uh, Unfortunately. Wow, yeah, so it's already Thursday morning for you. Um, I I'm chilling. It's like 9.45 here in Cali. Yeah, a little uh, L.A. dweeb over there. Jesus. <laughs> hey, come on, really? You're going to call me little? The two of us on this show, you're going to call me little? I'm going to call you dweeb. I'm going to call you okay, something, okay, you schmuck. Okay, All fine. right, let's pump call it. Me a schmuck, right. Call me a dweeb. <laughs> you can't call me a little, Tyler. I love you. Uh, so right now, at least, there's no official uh, pitcher announced, but probably going to be Peterson. Would be shocked if it's not Peterson. Friday night uh, at the Marlins going up against Edward Cabrera. Now, Peterson's already turned out, you know, a couple good outings against Miami. You know, lost a pitcher's duel. He's won. Um, that still pisses me off. Know, that still pisses me off. Sunday that was the Peacock, right? The early yeah, Sunday morning. Yeah, Castano. I was, at, I, was at, I was in Delaware, and I was at this place called Jungle Gyms, a, a water park. I was following the game closely. I wanted to share. I wanted to do a reaction on my phone. Like a park. <laughs> no, it's it's actually a dope park, but yeah, it is. It's like a normal water park for like yeah. kids and parents. But I was in this a uh, wavy, lazy river, and I want to record my reaction to a win while in the river in the for lady. fun. Yeah, yeah, I was chilling. But Adam Adovino gave up that bomb to the nobody, and I was like, oh. "Well, there goes that." So I'm like, "I ain't doing this now." You know, every lazy river should sell booze. I don't right? understand why. I don't understand why. Or just give it. I or get. just do like. Or just do like a twenty-one plus night. Like once it's a certain time. Yeah. I mean, I you get know, the concern of like spillage in the lazy river, but well, I'm and also sorry, just having like, parents absolutely smacked with their kids running around. That, that too. Yeah. But it's like uh, a lazy river is just you need a drink in your hand. I mean, Agreed. even if you don't want to do hard liquor, like even if you want to, you know, cap it at beer and wine. That's why I, you pregame, Joe. That's why you pregame. Doesn't matter where you're going, you pregame. 
There's... I just feel like it's, it, you know, you, you want to be relaxing. You want to pretend whether, you know, you're at the Lazy River in Hershey Park, like I used to go every summer, or you you're go. at Jungle Gyms in, in Delaware, right? Like you want to pretend that you're in Turks and Caicos when you're in a Lazy yeah. River. <laughs> and, and the best way to do that is to have a drink in your hand with a little umbrella in there. I just, I, I feel like it's a must. Every Lazy River needs to be a wet Lazy River. I mean, wet in terms of, and we, and this is the part where we could be perfectly segueing into a, you know, a drink sponsor. So again, a, a drinks out there, hit us up, hit us up. That's true. That's true. I mean, I'm almost out of my tequila right now. There you uh, go. Drinking straight tequila. (laughs) Believe me, cleans up so 20. This is what happens when Wreck ain't here. We're going nuts. What we do, we go rogue without (laughs) Wreck. But, you know, mentioned Peterson, right? Going up against the Marlins and he's faced him a couple times this year. He's looked really good against them. This kid, Edward Cabrera who's pitching for the Marlins. This is the kid I want to focus on a little bit because you look at this series and the Marlins are running out. Edward Cabrera Friday night, Pablo Lopez Saturday, who the Mets have just absolutely dominated this year. Oh, they, they've hit him on a tee. Ridiculous. And then Jesus Lazardo Sunday, who the Mets have also not seen this year, like Cabrera. Nasty. Now, Cabrera's had nine starts this year. He's 4-2 and two with a 2-3-9 ERA. So that in and of itself is really good. But if you dive a little deeper, into his starts those two losses came against the astros and the dodgers now i'll preface this by saying the mets should be on the same level same caliber as those two teams yes. right off the bat just want to start with that so those two losses against the astros and dodgers he went nine and a third combined and allowed 11 earned runs he's only allowed 13 earned runs on the season so i looked at his other seven starts what has he done in those other seven starts he's thrown five scoreless starts out of the other seven He's 4-0 in those seven starts. He's gone 39 and two-thirds innings and allowed two earned runs. That is a .45 ERA in seven of his nine starts. He's also averaged damn near 11 Ks per nine in those uh, seven starts, not counting the losses to Houston and the Dodgers. So what, what this kid has, and I was watching some film of him earlier, in his arsenal, is he's got velo. I mean, he's got velo, velo, velo. He's, he's a five-pitch guy, four-seam sinker, change-up curve slider. And three of those pitches live 92-plus. His change-up averages 92-and-a-half with about 15 inches of horizontal arm-side movement. He's a 6'5 righty whose arms and legs coming at you. His fastball gets north of 96-97. I, I mean... It just jumps out of the hand and his curveball and slider, which he combines to throw about a little more than a third of the time. I mean, those are his strikeout pitches, right? His fastball sinker is more for contact. His changeup curve and slider have combined for 46 of his 55 Ks. So you do the math, it's over 80%. I mean, the kids got ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Eddie's someone that I've known actually quite a bit about just because I've loved the Marlins and their prospect pool pitching wise. I mean, always have good pitching Sixto Sanchez is a guy that unfortunately hasn't worked out for them from the Phillies trade that we know, but like they just have, they have plethora of options right now. And I also know Eddie playing MLB the show had him on my roster last year. Just disgusting. Like this guy was unhittable for the longest time, but the point I'm the point I want to make though is that we also know Eddie as Mets fans. If you recall, down the stretch last year, he pitched against the Mets. Was not good. Was erratic as ever. Was a hit by pitch machine towards the Mets. That's when he was first game started as a young MLB did. career. Exactly. Now, however, Eddie again. I don't know what his hit by pitches or his walks per nine are this year. If you want to pull that up shortly, you can. But 
Eddie, again, is finally getting into a groove in his young MLB career, and he looks like a guy that can be a force to be reckoned with for years to come in this rotation. So I'm curious how the Mets are going to match up against Cabrera because they have some experience against him, but not a lot. Not a lot other than what we saw down the stretch last year when he was a shell of what he is now in, in a positive manner for his. Uh, I thought you were going to say when he was a schmuck. Oh, he I is a schmuck. God, I you were if say if you're a Marlin, you're a schmuck. But I mean, that's yeah. that's inevitable, John. All right, let me let me pull this up because I didn't know we faced him last year. Yes, and so while you do, last year he had seven starts, was zero and three with a six ERA. Yep, so it's been a tale of two cities. He, yeah, he was a walks machine. Interesting. Let me look at this game log last year. Uh, oh, back to back starts against the Mets. He also, oh, he made his day. Was that his debut? No, it was his last start of the year. Came against the Mets. So he had three starts against the Mets. Went four innings, two and a third, three innings. They lost all three of those games. He had mm, only six walks in the three starts. I mean, he didn't throw a lot of innings, but that's not like terrible. Uh, oh, it was the back-to-back starts against the Mets. His second and third career starts. He hit three guys in those two games. Yeah. But then didn't hit a guy the rest of the year. So, you know, first two starts of his career, some jitters, some nerves. Um, I mean, we tattooed him. You know, his best outing against us was three innings, two earned. That was his best. He had four innings, three earned, and two innings, four earned. Um, Homered off him once every start. And And this was a Mets team that was absolutely horrendous down the stretch last year. So keep that in mind. Yeah, we should take bets. Who's going to be the one guy to homer on Friday? Three starts Ooh. against us, one home run allowed in all three. I didn't realize we'd ever faced him before because I was just I was looking at this year, and because uh, I don't I didn't recall him at all from last year. If we're gonna go with one guy to homer off of him, I'm gonna go with one of the hot hands for the Mets right now. But I'm gonna go with Tyler Naquin. Naquin's hit really well, if I'm not mistaken, against Miami this year in Miami. So, and I remember because when Naquin got traded to the Mets. He had hit a home run in his previous game, and it was in Miami as well. With with the Reds, that, that's yes. a great call. Yep, that's a great call. So I'm going. Um, I'm locking in Naquin. I'm going to look up. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to look up Edward Cabrera. Oh, don't look at the actual like splits. Come on, you're going to ruin it then. Pete two for five with two homers. Pete will be lucky to hit a home run against Miami with the way that he's been. Yeah, Pete might. With, um, with his launch. I'm going to go Frankie. Okay. I like, oh, yeah. That's a great pick. Yeah. yeah he's, I'm gonna go he's, he's literally the Marlins daddy this year. To put that's one on the lot. Coke corner. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do it. Sprinkle sprinkle a little something, something on that. Plus, wait, whatever Coke the corner. They're in Miami. Oh, that's right. All right. So, whatever corner, whatever corner's <laughs> in. They're in Miami. It's a different type of Coke corner. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> if you know, you know. All right. Let's get oh, to man, our game Miami. two and game three matchups real quick. Okay. Yeah. Um, game two, we got the guy. That did not look great at all in his first start back. However, I wasn't even against the Nationals. Look, it was it was a rehab outing, in my opinion, for Cookie Carrasco. He didn't have any rehab starts coming back from his oblique injury. I wasn't making a lie of day for it. The reason why I was so upset about that game wasn't as much Cookie with that McNeil error and everything that ensued. It was the offense not doing jack shit. That's why. Yeah. So Cookie's facing the Marlins team. That is not good. We'll see how he does. Hopefully a little bit better. I remember Cookie in Miami last year didn't do too great. Again, that was a different, this year, different story. Three different. starts. He's two and zero oh with a two three ERA. Mets have won all three. See, there you go. So, Cookie, who is he matching up against in game two? Do you Pablo know? Pablo Lopez. Baby. Oh, Pablo Lopez. There Saturday you go. Saturday is the win. Sad, you know. Look, obviously, I want to sweep. 
Cabrera's got good stuff. Lazardo's got good stuff. Lazardo's the biggest guy that concerns me. Out of this I can I can live with two out of three in this one. Saturday's the the game you got to win. Yes, I agree because it's funny enough. You think of how well the Mets have been for the most part this year against Lopez, against Alcantara, who the Mets are not facing this series. Wouldn't have even been a bad thing if they did because Sandy has not been pitching well over his past couple starts now. But what I do know sure. is that you and look at Wheeler. Well exactly. You know, look at Wheeler. You look at Nola. You, you know, the Mets have done really, really well for the most part against the aces of the respective clubs, the rivals in the Annalise this year. So mm-hmm. I think Lopez, we're going to get more of the same, hopefully. We'll see what Cabrera brings. That could be difficult for the Mets for sure. And Lazardo honestly concerns me the most because he's a young, nasty southpaw that they got for Starling Marte as a rental last year. Marte, of course, walked from the A's because of course, I don't know how in God's name the A's managed to part ways with Jesus Lazardo that quick when they've spent years trying to develop this kid. They give him away for a rental for nothing. It was was such a win for Miami as soon as they parted with Marte because they knew that he wasn't signing there. And Marte was great with the A's, but we knew he wasn't signing there either. Marte Marte was with Miami. That's like hilarious to me. I know. It's so easy to forget. And when he was with the A's, he like stole like 21 straight bags with them and didn't get caught. That's yeah, when didn't he have like 47 steals last yeah, year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was insane. He's actually, you know, what does he have, like 18 or 19 this yeah, year? Yeah, he's not at a bad pace. Considering he's just, the groin injury, like, yeah. he's going to get north of 20. Exactly. Playing with a hurt groin. And he's stolen home two or three times. Yeah. I mean, he's a smart base runner. He's a smart, savvy base runner. Even if he's got that, you know, he picks his spots. Like, I don't get mad when I see Marte hit a grounder and not run it, run, uh, not run it out to first. Because he picks his spots. Yep. But at the same time, you know, it's like, yeah, he'll hit one and really not run it out when he knows it's a sure thing, but he'll go steal home. So, like, I'll take that. I'll take that. And speaking of Cookie, for game three, we got the guy that has been inconsistent still, Taiwan Walker. Ty, again, another not great outing. Not the worst, but not the best. We'll see how he's feeling with that little blister issue he said he, he has going on right now. So, what is your expectation before we wrap up the show, Joe, on mm-hmm. Taiwan Walker in this game three? Because in my opinion, this game three will be most important just from the Jesus Lazardo impact. I don't know how the Mets are going to do against that kid at all. I don't know what what's what's his stat line this year too. On Lazardo, I mean, Lazardo's three and six, but he's got like a low three ERA. He doesn't get run support. The Marlins have lost six of his last seven starts, and in those last seven starts, his ERA is actually under three. It's like two point eight. He's so gained he's, he's gained a Grom treatment up until yeah. today at the time of recording this, and the Marlins offense. Brutal. I'm glad you mentioned the offense. They've only scored 14 runs over their past nine games. You know what they've done over their past nine games? They've lost every no. They've lost every single one of them. They're on a nine game skid. They're on a nine game skid right now. They've lost ten of their last eleven too. Um, oh, don't get don't don't start, Joe. (laughs) They're 55 and 80 on the year. They dropped Jesus Aguilar just because they didn't want him anymore. He got picked up by the Orioles. I mean, Miami's in another full year of not knowing how to properly develop young talent, hoping on guys they've drafted and, you know, to step up in the years to come. But they're a team that's at their lowest point of the season. They're desperate. They'll be hungry. They will be peskier for the Mets. I think that we would hope as fans, because the Miami is just always that down the stretch in the season, in Miami especially. But it's unbelievably important that the Mets at minimum take two or three from the series, if not win the series, especially when you got the Braves having their hardest matchup for the remainder of this year, other than facing the Mets in the final week, because they're in Seattle this same weekend against the Red Hot Mariners, who have the second-best record in August, only to the Braves with the first-best. And, of course, how Red Hot they've both been 
post all-star break for the majority of summer. Like if, if the Braves hopefully can lose one, if not two games, I mean, this could be the biggest series for the Mets all year long with the assumption that the Braves are going to just steamroll every other bottom feeder after the Mariners that they face. Well, and then don't forget the Braves, and this is also tough. Look, coastal road trips, when you go coast to coast, that's difficult. So the Braves also, after Seattle, go to the Giants. And yeah, you know, yeah, the Giants have, have played JD Davis. Games the come Dodgers. on, JD. <laughs> JD, come on, baby. Help us out. You know, we'll, we'll give you a ring. We'll show you some love. You'll get, you'll get some <laughs> hardware. Um, yeah, Braves, you know, they go to the Giants. I know the Giants stink, but still, coast to coast trip, not easy. Uh, and then they got some matchups with the Phillies left. So, you know, the Braves. Yeah, see, so they still got like seven games difficult. with the Phillies, I think. Yeah, so they've got a reasonably difficult September ahead of them. Uh, and we just have to take care of business. Head down, worry about us. Look, like I said, I know we're a half game up. We're tied in the loss column, so I'm treating it like we're tied. We just have to worry about us. Go out there every night, win the rest of your 24 games, and and don't worry about Atlanta. Just worry about the Mets. Just win, win, win. And uh, when so when you ask me to wrap it up, what I what I expect from Ty here, um, I don't know if it's so much what I expect as if it's what I'm hoping for. Because right now Ty's got an ERA over six in the second half of the season, and he's pitching his way. From, down from you know our number three he was ahead of Bassett for a majority of the early part of the season pitching his way to the point where it's like do I even trust him as a starter in the playoffs like yeah he's at know, the for a while like, right he now. was the guaranteed four you know he was the three he was the four now it's like I, I mean you know I'd almost rather see Peterson than Todd mixing and lefty in the rotation you know what I mean right. like who knows right so so what I'm hoping to see out of him is continue dominating the Marlins this is a team that does not hit him well um Outside of one guy, John Birdie. So the Marlins, current Marlins. Fuck John Birdie. Seriously? Fuck John Birdie. I'm sorry. I'm not holding back. This man is the biggest pest known to man. He's a guy you want on your team. He's that short schmuck, that speedy schmuck with the little base hit, the infield singles. He is the exact definition of the Mets when they're at their peak this year. We're grinding out at bats, just getting stupid hits, grinding them out, going first, somehow getting a double out of a freaking bunt. That's John Birdie, and that's my TED Talk. So it's <laughs> – wow, it's been a day. It's been a day. Um, so, yeah, Birdie, 10 at-bats against Ty, 7 for 10, 7 singles. No extra base hits, no home runs, no RBI, 7 for 10, 7 singles. I bet, the, I bet Birdie, they're almost all infield too. Probably, right? You take <laughs> Birdie out of the equation, and the rest of the Marlins are 23 for 104. It's only a 220 average. So if you look at them as a whole, they're hitting like 260 off tie. Take birdie out of that. The rest of them are hitting 220. Only one home run in 114 at-bats off tie. Ty lately, he was great at keeping the ball in the park earlier this year. Lately, he's getting shelled. He's giving up home runs. I need Taiwan Walker to keep the ball in the park. I need Taiwan Walker to give the Mets at least six innings of one run ball. That's what I need against this anemic Marlins lineup. I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask. Ty's got it in him. I need Ty to get back on track here. I need him to get back on track. It's the freaking Marlins, man. The Pirates just lit him up. I need him to get back on track against the Marlins. I need the Mets to score a minimum of 15 runs a series. Honestly, that's yeah, what give, I hope for. Give me give me five a game. We'll go three and up. Yeah, seriously. That's, 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 that's what that's, I hope for. What are we? Aren't they like 72 and six when they score four or more? They're stupid. Yeah. They're, yep, they're 73 right up there. and six, maybe. Yeah. Because I, I, I saw a graphic that we were 71 and six. And I don't know if it was game one of the doubleheader or game two. So they're either 72 and six or 73 and six when they score four runs or more. It's like a 92%, 93% winning percentage. 
Give me five. Give me, give me five runs in each of the three games this series. That'll get to your 15. That'll lead to a sweep. And that is going to conclude episode 20 of Believe in Queens. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening on YouTube. Guys, for Wardy NYM, myself, make sure to subscribe to the channel. Hit that like button. Hit that notification bell. Let us know in the comments below, too, your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And give us some comments. If you guys want anything specifically answered in future episodes, let us know down below. Make sure to check out the merch, as always. Check me out on Wardy NYM on Twitter, where I'm doing my live tweets and live ranting there outside the YouTube channel. And thank you guys again so much for chiming in. Really does mean the world to uh, us both. And Rec can't say the same because the schmuck ain't here, but I know that in his heart he feels it. But Joe, let us know where we can find you. What's the latest with the Sorallo Sports Talk? Yeah, catch me on uh, on Twitter at the Joe Sorallo. Catch me on Instagram at Joe Sorallo. Sorallo Sports Talk is back on national radio. Uh, had my first show back on the national airwaves. Uh, this is released Thursday, so yesterday, Wednesday um it's back on national radio get the podcast apple pod spotify and i'm doing a third show now believe me b-l-e-a-v me uh it's a betting show on believe it's our premier betting show i'm hosting that with brandon lang the career handicapper and uh the inspiration for matthew mcconaughey's character and two for the money as well as former uh all-american in college at the university of colorado Colorado, and pittsburgh steeler pro bowler Cordell Stewart. The three of us are uh, leading that up. And episode two is out as of today. So go check out episode two of Believe Me. We give our best bets for week one of the NFL season. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching and listening. And we will catch you all hopefully after a series win in Miami. Peace out, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.